Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Jason Pierre-Paul was involved in a single car crash around 5 a.m. Thursday morning. He was not cited in the accident. The good news is even though he was transported to the hospital, he was released. His injuries are not considered to be serious. However, the Bucks released a statement saying, they're concerned for JPP and his passenger, uh, but they will have him evaluated by their own doctors in Tampa shortly, probably within a week or so. So uh, good news there that uh, JPP is going to be okay. Uh, I was at the Bucks facility on Thursday. We had a chance to talk to all the offensive and special teams assistants, of which there are many. I wrote a story on Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator. You'll hear why at 39, only two years into coaching, he's ready to take charge of the make-or-break year for Jameis Winston. Also, we had a chance to talk to quarterbacks coach Clyde Christensen about Winston and special teams coach Keith Armstrong about the Bucks rookie kicker. So we'll discuss that a little bit as well. And the Rays split their series with the Royals. They won 3-1 to one on Thursday. Brandon Lau hits a two-run, two-strike, two-out home run in the ninth, three minutes after being named the AL Rookie of the Month. And Tyler Glass now is the pitcher of the month in the American League. He hit 5-0 and and a 1.75 ERA. He'll be on the mound tonight as the Rays play in Baltimore. We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, if you'd like to be one of our sponsors to this podcast, we would love to have you. Our advertisers are having great success, and you will too. Now, we're uh, nearing almost 100,000 downloads per month very soon, so this podcast is still growing for information on the many ways to uh, be a sponsor, here's what you do. Contact us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can contact me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'd love to have you be part of our team. All right, Steve, so this broke uh, kind of late on Thursday night, I guess I would say. I thought my evening was done except for this podcast, but it turns out it was not because uh, TMZ actually broke the story that Jason Pierre-Paul, the Bucks' defensive end, now their outside linebacker, I guess, in this new defense, was involved uh, with his SUV in a car crash around 5 a.m. It was a single car crash. No one else involved in it as far as vehicles go on Thursday morning. He was not cited in the accident. From According to the reports, there was no speeding, no alcohol involved, nothing like that. But emergency vehicles did respond, and he was transported uh, to the hospital, as I mentioned earlier, uh, later release. Uh, so I guess that's the good news is there was nothing considered serious, serious enough for him to uh, to stay over for any reason. Um, but the Bucks uh, late on Thursday night released a statement from general manager Jason Light, who, you know, in so many words said that, you know, hey, we're, we're glad uh, essentially he's okay, first and foremost, and that he was not cited in the accident by law enforcement. And uh, even though you know, he's he's been released. They're going to have him evaluated by their own doctors shortly sometime in Tampa. Now, the thing about JPP is, you know, he does not participate in anything in the offseason. So he has not been in the uh, phase two offseason workout programs in Tampa. He lives in Broward. This is where the accident occurred, by the way, is down in Broward County. 
and I assume near his home, but he, he's not he's not been involved in the the voluntary mini camp. We probably won't see him during OTAs. We don't know when we'll see him. Now we'll see him, or at least the Bucks will see him sh- sooner than later, simply because they want a medical evaluation. But uh, you know, kind of scary, and, and certainly not uh, the worst accident that JPP's ever had. If you remember back in 2015, he had the accident on July 4th, the fireworks accident, where he lost several fingers, and and that certainly threatened his career. He came back from that, and you know, last year he, in his trade from the Giants to the Bucks. He had a great year. He had 12 and a half sacks. He's the first guy to have double-digit sacks with the Bucks since Simeon Rice in 2005. So a very big part of what they do. And I'll tell you, Steve, you just hope that they don't get into this and find out that it's anything uh, that could threaten his career. I mean, I remember it was a year ago in April that Kendall Beckwith, their young linebacker, would be going into his second year last year, was in a car accident as he was the passenger, and he was in a car accident and broke his ankle, among other things. And apparently there must have been some nerve damage, ligament damage, what have you. Um, they tried to have him come back off PUP, and he practiced for three weeks last year and just couldn't run right. And so he finished the year on the non-football injury list. And to this day, they have not given us any updates as to what his condition is, although he supposedly has been seeing specialists, which is not a good sign. So you could have a situation where you're in a car accident that seems on the surface to be something that's simple, uh, and then later, God forbid, like uh, Kendall Beckwith, you find out it's career-threatening. Yeah, no, your hope is is that he seemed to be released pretty quickly, which yeah. leads you to believe it's probably not quite that serious. Not to say there's not going to be ramifications or consequences to this, but you know, you mm-hmm. you'd ho- you're hoping that that you know the best comes out of this as far as outcomes or injury wise. Sure, and uh, you know it's uh, you know we he this is a guy that's had some bad news. I mean, you'll never forget that Giants uh, situation, and we were just talking about this. I had forgotten that uh, when he was involved in that accident. Um, a fireworks accident where he, where he lost several fingers and um, was very seriously injured and burned. Um, it was it was a while before the Giants really got to see him and get in, got in there and got any kind of a real update about what the extent of his hand injury was. Yeah, they kind of weren't letting anybody in. He was yeah. pretty much, you know, no one really knew what was going on. There was lots of speculation, but no one knew. Right. And it finally came out, and, of course, the pictures were grotesque, and you know, it's amazing he made it back when you think about how defensive linemen need to use their hands, especially to, you know, get off blocks and things like that. And, uh, you know, that, that disability. I asked him when he, when he got to the Bucks, what he, what sort of what he took from all of that. And, of course, obviously fireworks safety and all that, but in terms of what he learned about himself. And I think he said something to the effect of, like, I'm indestructible <laughs> or something like that. And, you think you are, and and hopefully you know he didn't suffer any major injuries in this last accident. Um, but I can see when you come back from something like that, and he managed to come all the way back. I mean, you know, again, he's still considered one of the premier pass rushers in the NFL, and he's got the numbers to prove it. So, um, you know, that he's a key piece of what they want to do on defense because they didn't really, you know, they didn't really draft any defensive linemen until sort of the the fourth or fifth round, and then at the end of the draft in the seventh round. So you're essentially sliding some guys around in this new 3-4 defense, and JPP is going to play a big role in whatever they do. So you certainly need him healthy and, and on board and all those things. So we wish J, JPP uh, good luck, and um, hopefully we'll get good news from the Bucks when they have a chance to evaluate him. I was over at the uh, Bucks on Thursday, and it was very interesting. You know, these last two days um, have, have been great. You know, we played uh, Lori Locus's interview yesterday the assistant defensive line coach that they hired from the Birmingham Iron and 
Um, we've talked to all 28 of their assistant coaches. I'm telling you, this is it is the largest staff, obviously, that the Bucks have ever had, and one of the largest, I think, in the NFL history. I would imagine. By contrast, I think I read where the New England Patriots have 15 assistant coaches. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like you know, hey, if you know what you're doing, and you got Belichick, you don't need anybody. Um, but that's that's just the difference. And they're so it's an impressive staff. I mean, these guys, uh, you know, some of them have been with Bruce Arians for 30, 35 years. No kidding. And then some of them are guys that played for him uh, and have been with him for a while or maybe played for him, like in the case of Antoine Randall are just starting their coaching careers. You know, like this is their first year. But then they get around these other guys that have been around Bruce forever and, and they swap stories. And it, so it's like one big B.A. fraternity, if you will. Um, but they're impressive guys with good resumes and all of that. And, you know, the, the guy that is – one of the newcomers, I guess you would say, to sort of Arian's coaching staff. I mean, he's only coached two years in the NFL. He joined him with the Arizona Cardinals a few years ago. And that's Byron Leftwich, who, you know, Bucks fans will remember, played one season here in Raheem Morris's first year when they drafted Josh Freeman. They're trying to bring him along slowly. Byron won the job, I believe, over, I think it was Luke McCown at the time. They had Josh Johnson as their backup. And so, uh, you know, he didn't play much. He, he started the season and then was kick, quickly replaced, I think, after about three or four games. But a bright guy, a guy that had a good career, of course, at Marshall, was a, was a seventh overall pick by the Jaguars, uh, played for them, did very well. I think that was under Jack Del Rio, if I'm not mistaken, and also played with Bruce Arians in Pittsburgh. He was the backup quarterback to Ben Roethlisberger when Arians was the offensive coordinator. So that's the connection that those guys have in, in running – Arian's offense, and he was like a coach uh, on the sideline, an extra coach for Arian's, because he saw the game a certain way. You know, he wasn't the most athletic guy in the world, had kind of an elongated uh, wind-up when he threw the ball. So he had to really be on top of, like, where his players were, what the defense was trying to do. He had to diagnose things very quickly and process the information very quickly and then be accurate. Um, so it's it's kind of a bonus that the Bucks have him in this position, but what's what's surprising about it is that that Arians has so much confidence in a guy who really is. This would be his first full year of calling plays. I mean, he did it uh, after Week Eight. I think the Cardinals. He was with the Cardinals last year when Arians was retired, and you know they fired their offensive co- coordinator halfway through, and he he called plays for Josh Rose in the second half of the season. But it wasn't this offense. It wasn't the offense that really Leftwich was used to, and he did a fairly good job. Um, but this is, you know, when you consider all that's at stake here with Jameis Winston going into his fifth and, and final season under this rookie contract, making almost $21 million, and, you know, the Bucks not having been to the playoffs in 11 years, and Jason Light with just one winning season since he got here six years ago. So there's so much on the line, and yet Arians, while he'll be on the headset, is willing to turn over the entire offense and Jameis Winston to some degree along with their quarterback's coach, Clyde Christensen, and say, hey, I think you're ready for this. And so I had a, talk to, a chance to talk to Leftwich about that. And what was interesting is that, you know, he, ha- he has so much faith in, in Arians. And his, his point of view is that, look, I've, I have been with Bruce in this offense, even though I haven't been coaching it. I have been coaching it because I played in it. I understand it. I, I was there with Ben, um, you know, helping to coach him. And – you know, when I got off the golf course and started coaching again, this part is easy for me. I get it. And, and he, he just feels like that Arians 
wouldn't have given him this job if he didn't think he could do it. So, uh, but but it's a big leap of faith, I think, for BA when you consider all that's at stake here. And you know, I, I think you know, Byron will see just exactly what his impact is on Winston. But uh, he's a bright guy, and everybody's going to like him instantly. He has so much credibility with players because he did play and he knows how to communicate. And he's got a little BA to him. He's got a little swag. You know, Byron Leftwich has always been a confident guy, and he's got that as swag comes through. Um, but this will be an interesting relationship between him and Jameis Winston. Speaking of Winston, and we know that he's a hard worker. I mean, that's always been the thing, right? He's kind of a guy that, that gets up early, gets there before anybody else, 5, 5 a.m., 6 a.m., what have you, even in the off season, and stays a long time. So he, he likes to work at his craft, as they say. And, and, and from a coaching standpoint, that's always a good thing. I mean, you'd rather have that um, than a guy who kind of jakes it in the off season. But I thought it was interesting. Both Byron Leftwich and Clyde Christensen said to us on Thursday about Jameis that I know this, it's early and it's late. So, I mean, when I pull in there, his truck's always in its parking spot, and I'm kind of an early bird. And, uh, and I think that's one of the things we're addressing is just making sure that we're working efficiently. It's a long season. It's a lot of stress, and you better get your tail out of this building. And uh, there's been times we've, we've worked with a couple other workaholic quarterbacks and uh, – and, and just had to have some dead times where we weren't allowed to don't don't know football, just some no football times. And I think we probably will have to do the same thing here with Jameis. And that there's just a point you have to get away from this thing. That that's a it's a pressure packed position. It fatigues you. And uh, come week 20 of the season or week 21 for the playoffs, one of the keys will be being fresh. That will be fresh mentally and physically. And and uh, and I think that'll be an issue with him. But he he works. He probably you know. We've talked a lot about, you know, working hard isn't always the answer. More isn't always better, right? More isn't always better throwing a football, playing quarterback, being in this building. More isn't always better. And uh, so we've talked a lot about that, and we'll address it, and, and we'll, uh, we'll certainly manage that schedule. And, and with him, it'll be, you know, having to rein him in a little bit and just, you know, say enough's enough and ban him from the building. So we'll, we'll have to ban him some. Uh, and I've never, I've never heard coaches really say that. But it was sort of like, you know, there's there's the time you spend in the facility, uh, and it's a long season. You know, if you go in the playoffs, you're talking about 25, 26 weeks. But you know that Jameis Winston, uh, while he while he's there a lot, they they they're trying to kick him out more and say, hey, you need some balance. You know, you need to spend some time with your family. You need to get out of this building. And are you just here spending the time, or are you working smart? You know, like are you get, you know, why are you here? What are you doing today? And I think that's sort of the message that Clyde and and Leftwich had with him was, like, look, it's it's great to be the hardest worker. I mean, Clyde said this back when Sean King was quarterback and didn't work as hard as he should have, but Clyde said it again uh, on Thursday. He said, look, if you if you work till one o'clock in the off season as a quarterback, you're automatically one of the hardest working quarterbacks in the NFL. Like most guys aren't spending 12 hours in the offseason at the facility when the offseason workout program begins. That's kind of what Jameis is doing. You know, he'll get there at 5 or 6 in the morning and maybe not, not, not go home till 5 or 6 at night. And they're trying to, to impose upon him, you know, like or impress upon him, hey, get out of here. You know, this is the time for you uh, to, to spend that time with your family because once we hit training camp, once we hit the, the preseason, the regular season – then for a quarterback, especially, it's seven days a week. And they're long days because while every other player has Tuesdays off, you know, you might come in for treatment, but you're going to be getting the game plan on Tuesday. So the quarterbacks 
actually don't get per se a day off. I mean, I know the CBA requires it, but they they're in the facility and and sort of you know already starting to work on the Wednesday game plan that they're going to execute. So it's just it's interesting. There's one of those things that both Clyde and Byron said, "Hey, we're we're trying to actually get them to spend less time here in the off season." The other thing that they were asked about, I asked them about, was this notion that Jameis wants to be bigger. And, um, you know, Jameis has said that uh, he was 250, and, of course, he was listed at 231, but he, he told us, hey, you know, how much do you think I played at last year? It was 245, um, which, which is not a big weight game if you're just talking about five pounds. But, but to a man, both Leftwich and Clyde were like. Yeah, but I don't know how true of a statement we, we're going to allow that to be. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, I heard that too. I heard that, and yeah, I heard that. I, I don't know how accurate a statement that is. I'll ask him that question again after the day. I hope that's just a rumor. I'm hoping that's just a rumor. But yeah, they. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Here, here's what we're doing, right? That that that, that I'm no expert on that. Obviously, I'm no expert knowledge-wise or in fact. In uh, in practical terms, but uh, you know we're gonna we 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 just ran some blood tests. We'll we'll do the body. You know we'll come up with a good. We're in the process of doing that now, and then it'll be my job just to convince him that hey, you know the expert don't don't just set a number. You know it's all body composition, and it's really important that you know. There's some guys who are really linear and lean that maybe you have to carry a little extra fat because you can't let your weight get down. But he's not that guy. He's a big old strong guy with a ton of girth. And, uh, and uh, so we just want to get him, you know, we'll get him to an optimal position. We'll make that decision and, uh, and then, then, you know, work toward it. They do not want him just to put on weight to put on weight. And I, I still go back to you hear the, the code word like he needs more armor, which I think means somebody's gotten to his head and said, look, you're going to get hit a lot. Because Arians gets five guys out and the protection's not as good, and you have to stand in here and take some some really big hits. But uh... hey, everyone! I've been on the go recently: Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. To a man, they, they both were like, you know, look, we're going we're gonna to get him at whatever his best weight is to be mobile, um, to do his job and, and, and all of that. Uh, but they're not buying into this whole notion that he needs to be what would then be the, the 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 biggest quarterback in the NFL at 250 pounds at least listed, um, in, you know, so they they really aren't aren't down with his his plan to do that, which I thought was uh, was also interesting. Finally, just real quick, uh, one one of the guys we also had a chance to talk to on Thursday was their special teams coach, Buck special teams coach Keith Armstrong, and Armstrong is been in the league for a long time and he was with Atlanta for 10 seasons and there was some thought that maybe he would get Matt Bryant who is a free agent but they wanted to get a little a little younger at the position and so they re-signed Cairo Santos who you know finished up the year last year he was nine of 12 on field goals I think he made all 15 or so extra points which is a great percentage from a field goal standpoint but they thought that Cairo would be really solid especially you know beginning the season here then they went out uh, to help him because one of his strengths is not kicking off. 
And when they went out and signed Bradley Pinion as a special team, as a punter from San Francisco, as a free agent, uh, the idea was that Pinion kicks off. And so there's only about a handful of punters that actually also kick off. So that takes the, the onus off of Santos and actually maybe preserves his leg and, and makes it less likely that he'd be injured in practice because a lot of these place kickers um, you know, get torqued and, and injure themselves uh, you know, kicking off during the week. And so that, that was the plan. They were going to go with Santos. And then along came Matthew Gay, the uh, punter – or I'm sorry, the place kicker from Utah who was drafted by the Bucks in the fifth round. And his reaction was, no, not, not this soon. This can't be happening. Well, yeah, it was. Lou Groza award winner, a bigger body. And, and that's the thing in, you know, in talking to uh, the Bucks and Keith Armstrong. It's like, look, this guy is 230 pounds. He's about 6'2", 6'3". And I asked sort of what's the advantage because most of the kickers you see are not big guys. They're, you know, uh, soccer players or, or smallish type, type guys for the most part. Um, there's been some exceptions like Sebastian Janikowski and others. Well, this guy is on the other side of the spectrum. He's probably 6'2", 6'3", 230 pounds. He's a naturally big dude. And in talking to Armstrong, he said, you know what the difference is, is the sound of the ball. Bigger guys usually have a shorter swing, believe it or not, and he does have that. Um, the thing I like about him is you hear the thud coming off. When he hits the ball, thump, it's not peep. You know what I mean? That thing's thumping. He's hitting the ball. So, and it's windy here, right? So you've got to play the wind. So you better be able to do what? Drive that ball sometimes and still get it up to get it high. So with a smaller guy, sometimes they have to drive the ball. Well, now you're putting yourself in a position where you get the kick blocked. You follow me? So now this kid, bam, he's going to drive it, but he can still get the thing up in the air. The one thing that, that people don't understand about Raymond James Stadium, you would think that if you're a kicker in Tampa, Florida, man, you got it made because you're not kicking up north in Green Bay or Minnesota, or you know outside in New England, that sort of thing, Washington, D.C., where it can wreak havoc you know, with some of the, the cold and, and the snow and the wind. But in reality, Raymond James is one of the places that most kickers from either side have trouble with simply because the wind is so bad. I mean, it really can be blowing one direction, one quarter, and an absolute opposite direction, the other quarter. And so you have to be kind of committed to where you're aiming, you know, sometimes outside the goalpost, which is just counterintuitive to what you would want to do. But the case with Gay, according to Armstrong, is when he hits the ball, um, he's able to get it up high quickly and also – it's got some velocity, and that, that's sort of what you need to, to cut through some of those currents and some of that wind to, to, keep, the, uh, to keep the kick accurate. Uh, so they're excited to get him. He's a guy that can kick off as well. That just creates competition for Pinion, and we'll see how it shakes out. But no matter what, if they, if they do go with the rookie kicker, the reality is they will not know how this guy is going to react uh, until you get him under the bright lights in a game that matters. And you know, he never – the interesting thing is at Utah, he had some pressure kicks, but he never had a game-winning field goal attempt. So, you know, he'll, he'll certainly would experience many of those during the NFL because so many games come down to the last possession and they're settled by, by kicks. So it'll be a leap of faith even if he's 100 for 100 in the preseason and Cairo Santos is not. But until he lines up in a real NFL game, uh, you just don't know how he's going to handle the, uh, the mental aspect of that. All right, well, finally, you know, congratulations to the Rays after losing a doubleheader yesterday. It's good to see them bounce back. They thought it was, uh, some people were calling it, even in their own clubhouse, a must win. I'm not sure that was the case, but they managed to salvage a split with the Royals. They won the season them. series, 4-3. to three. 
they did win that. You're right. And they didn't lose a series, which means they, they've only lost one series all season, mm-hmm. which is an, a remarkable uh, achievement. I think, what are they, 20 and 11 now? Correct. Uh, to, to start May. So, you know, hell of a record there, get their 20th win. But they went 3-1. to one. This was a tight ball game, 1-1 ball game. You know, Charlie Morton uh, pitched well but managed to work out of a lot of jams, and he got guys on base early and was, was good enough to get himself out of that. And, he's, you know, from a record standpoint, an ERA standpoint, he's been very competitive with the exception of one game that he gave up the grand slam and I think five or six runs. But aside from that, he's, he's been pretty tough. But, but he, he even said after the game, look, I, you know, I, I'm pleased with the way I've been able to pitch and, and you know, not allow a lot of runs and keep us in games. But he said, I'm kind of working against the odds right here. Like, there's too many base runners, too many guys on early, you know, in the inning without without one or two outs. And he said, you know, it just puts so much pressure on every pitch at that point. But I think his experience and, and sort of like what he's been through, the big games, the big moments, you can see that it does not bother him at all. And in so far, at least, he's been able to get escape with some of those mistakes. Um, but he, he's been very, very good. So Yeah, I think, it's uh, been, I think it, four times today he left runners at second or third base. That's amazing. An inning. Um, and they were early in, in the, in the uh, inning as well. Like these were guys lead off, mm-hmm. lead off uh, hits, lead off walks, guys at third with one out, that sort of thing. And give him credit, though. I mean, after a doubleheader, you know, he went and pitched deep into this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, got him to, to get to Pagan and then Diego Castillo to close out the game. But got him deep into the game so they didn't have to use a lot of the bullpen either after having a doubleheader yesterday and no off day coming up as they're, you know, going straight to Baltimore and then Arizona comes to town. Tell you what, he's just a true pro. I mean, he's he's gotten into the close to the sixth or seventh inning almost every start. So he gives you a quality start, and um, that does save your bullpen. We can count on him. Just so much experience uh, on the mound there. But the guy that uh, that had the big day was, as it turns out, was Brandon Lau, who had you know it's a one-one game. They go in the ninth inning. They got two outs, two strikes on him, and he was fooled by the pitch, Steve. I don't know if you saw it. He's mm-hmm. way out in front of an off-speed pitch. And sort of, you know, keeps his hands back, but flips the bat, and with that high finish that he has, manages to get carry out of the park on that on that ball. It, he looked fooled, and yet he was still able to get the barrel through it and get the ball up in the launch angle, and it just the backspin it just carried out of there. And what a huge home run for the Rays! Essentially, won the game for them. After the and game, he said he, he was just trying not to strike out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He wanted to hit it somewhere, but um, he, you know, he got it up and. Um, now I think he, he I believe either is tied for the home run lead with seven. Correct. Something like that. So, look, I know just in in watching him, unless he were to go into some horrific slump, and I, it, he doesn't. The way he swings, and the way he approaches it against left-handers or right-handers, Brandon Lau's just going to hit. He's just a hitter. But I'm telling you, this guy is. You know, his hands are so good, and he has uh, you know such a. Such a great finish to his swing and such a good launch angle and all the things that teams are trying to preach these days as far as driving the baseball that I'm going to say, I'm going to call it right now, Brandon Lau is going to lead this team in home runs. Now, that doesn't sound like a big prediction because he's leading them now, right? He's tied for the lead after one month. But I really do believe if he stays healthy, um, even though he's not the biggest guy in the world, he, he just has he just has a great, great home run swing in my opinion. And what was really cool today is – you know, he was th- at uh, 3.36 p.m. They announced he's the AL Rookie of the Month. And at 3.39, he hits the home run. <laughs> and 
and takes the lead for the rookie of the yeah. next month. Yes, he might win. <laughs> he might win two in a row now. If you took the voting today, it might be him. Well, I'll tell you, that's not a bad way to start your career. I bet if you went back and looked at the guys that win rookie of the month early in their careers, they probably tend to turn out pretty well. You think Mike Trout won a few of those back in the day? I'm sure he I'm did. Not I'm not comparing him to that, but like they were asking Lau after the game, "Hey, you know, um, it's kind of a kind of a big deal, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, no, you know, that's it's a great start to a career, and you know, you hope you can win more of them." But that's sort of like I've always said this about sports in general, uh, and, and I think it's true in baseball. When you're special, it shows up right away. You know what I mean? Like maybe like he went over his first ten, I believe, right? No, he went um, more. He was like over twenty-one or something like that. Was it that much? Yeah. I didn't think it was that much. Yeah, he went. He had. Okay. It was a really. I mean, that was rough like start. one for nineteen yeah. or something like that. Yeah, but in any case, he did. He got off to a horrible start um, from an average standpoint. Just, just didn't get any hits. Um, but then once he came around, I mean, he really came around big. And um, you know, I here we are a month into it. He's already the AL Rookie of the Month, and he's leading the Rays in home runs, and you know, has big hits and 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 big RBIs, and and really you know contributing that way. And so. I, I those are the guys that that you know jump out at you, and you go, yeah, you know what? You could almost see it from the time he got to the to the majors uh, that this guy was going to be special. And no wonder, you know, credit the Rays for for knowing without him spending much time in the majors, but credit credit them for you know for going ahead and locking him up and giving him uh, a pretty good contract so they have control of him for a few years, and you know makes him happy and and healthy and all those things as well. But uh, they certainly identified a really good player in, in uh, Brandon Lau. And then not to be outdone, the pitcher uh, in today's game against the Baltimore Orioles will be Tyler Glass now. He was named the American League Pitcher of the Month. He, with, of course, a 5-0 record, a 1.75 ERA, just a great command, pounding the strike zone with that 98, 99-mile-per-hour fastball and a devastating uh, slider and hook or you know curveball. He's got really sort of all the pitches going right now. But uh, this is the guy that was, you know, part of the trade with what Austin Meadows in that deal for yep, Chris Archer Shane with Boz. the Pirates. There's another prospect that the Rays have. Yeah, he's not even here yet. From, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, they they may have very well, you know, committed some kind of larceny in Pittsburgh. Um, but uh, Glasnow has been terrific, and you know, this is the third month in a row. If you go back to last, so say they might Steve, rename that, this award the Rays AL Pitcher of the Month. I know three months in a row going back to last year. That's pretty impressive, man. Yeah, Blake Snell won the AL Pitcher of the Month award in August and September last season. Yeah, I mean, granted, it's two players, but I mean, it's you know, you got two of the two of the best, you know, three in in uh, in baseball. Look, their their three man rotation when Snell is right, uh, with the addition of Glass now, and you know the way Charlie Morton is capable of pitching. Uh, you know, it, it, you've said this before, Steve. If they're able to get to the postseason, if you're able to get, you know, beyond the wild card round and you're playing, you know, a seven-game series, you really only need those three starters. And those are three as as good a three starters, I think, that they're going to face in, in baseball this year. Mm-hmm. Well, even if you have to play in the wild card round, you're comfortable with any one of those three depending on how the rotation sets up and Absolutely. You know, who you had to use in game 161 and 162 that may not be available, that one of those three should be available for even if you have to do a you know a one-game playoff, essentially. Absolutely, yeah. So great start for the Rays. They get back on track. And it's good that, you know, they had the two-game losing streak in the, in the day-night double – or, they, you know, the, the traditional doubleheader. And let's face it, nobody's in the ballpark. They came out a little flat, but they came out much more intense – 
And of course, it helped having a veteran on the mound and mm-hmm. um, keeping the keeping the game close. Well, as we talked, you know, on yesterday's podcast, look at the end of the day, you split a road series, a four game road sure. series. Sure, you'll Not take that on the road anytime. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. the order you win them in. And no. at the end of the day, you won two, they won two. You're now four and two on this road trip with going to Baltimore for three. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, a chance to go, you know, win seven games, and uh, you'd be really happy with that, or six and what, six and three, or something like that. A six but, and three uh, road trip is more than enough sure. i mean you know, you, know you, go, you go 500 on the road all year you're good yeah split split on the road win at home and yep. um you're going to be just fine so they've done better than that and then you know so they'll finish up this road trip in baltimore and uh then they'll be headed home for a series uh against arizona and then i think they got the yankees coming in after that that's sometime. correct yeah yankees will be in uh next weekend over mother's day weekend Kind of weird that they haven't played them yet, right? I mean, we're going we're already into May, mm-hmm. and they got 19, 19 games with those guys. Those are going to be those may, are going to be playoff like atmospheres. Maybe, but you may not recognize any of the Yankees on the field. That's true. The amount of injuries they have, you may not know any of the players. Uh, but credit to them, man. All they do is win. It's amazing. Anyway, busy weekend. Of course, we mentioned uh, you got the Rays, and it will be uh, also you know getting ready for the Bucks mini camp. Their rookie mini camp is next week. Uh, that'll be uh, next Friday and Saturday. So the rookies will be coming in. We'll have lots of stories about some of their undrafted free agents uh, next next week as well. So check that out on TampaBay.com. By the way, did you see what Noah Syndergaard did for the Mets on Thursday? I did. He's, I did. He's only the seventh pitcher since 1908 to throw a one nothing shutout win and hit a home run to score the only run. Yeah, I like what you said, that, that the last time it happened was also against Cincinnati. Yeah, it was <laughs> Bob Welsh in 1983 against the Reds. Former Dodger. Yes. Beautiful. Bob Welch goes deep and throws a one-hit shutout. Um, yeah, how about that? Pretty good day for him. Yeah, and it and wasn't that, a cheapie no, either. No, he got every bit of that home run. It was, what, 407 mm-hmm. feet, I think? Well struck to left central, as Joe Madden would say. Yes, it was. Absolutely. But pretty cool accomplishment. I mean, you know, you never know what you're going to see in baseball every day. That's the thing, man. And, you know, that guy's having a hell of a year, probably win a Cy Young and maybe a batting title. Who knows? But that's a pretty good athlete. You see that in Little League. You don't see the majors very often when you, the best player is the guy on the mound and he hits the home run to win the game, you know. That's like, uh, that's, that's like youth ball uh, all-star stuff. Yeah, and I think that's he, pretty... I think he uh, shaved his beard before this game. He, did. he said he's never going to grow a beard again. <laughs> Why should you? Well, after that I mean, performance, look, why? I mean, look, baseball players, as much as any sport, and I and and there is superstitions and and stuff like that. But if you you know if you watch the one of the there's a lot of truisms in the movie Bull Durham that I think mm-hmm. has aged very well over the years. But one of them is, and and uh, you know he tells Susan Sarandon uh, this. You know, you should know this that when things are going well, you don't change anything, and you don't know what it is that's causing it. It doesn't matter. The whole thing is about karma. It's about feeling good it's about you know so so if you have a night like that so you got to breathe out your eyelids breathe out your eyelids wear the pantyhose the whole deal or the the underwear whatever it was the garters i don't even know what the hell he was wearing but yeah i mean whatever it is you have to you have to do the same thing i remember and this is like this is minor crap who cares what i did but um i can remember eating the same meal you know there are stories about how wade boggs would have you know he was he would do things at a specific time of day uh, on the clock, you know what I mean? When he was, you know, headed to the ballpark, what he would eat, the chicken, the whole thing, when he would take ground balls, when he would take batting practice based on the time on the clock, all that stuff. So, look, all I know is 
you, you don't mess with the karma in baseball. Like if you're going well, you go really well. And if things go really bad, you switch. <laughs> and you keep switching until you find something that works, whether it's the socks or, you know, shaving or not shaving, whatever the hell it is. Uh, and, and then when you, when, you, when you get going again, then you just stick with it. So that's, uh, that must be what Syndergaard is talking about. Okay, so that's it for this week. We appreciate every one of you listening to this podcast. We'll be back with you on Monday. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times for Steve Burstink. Have a great weekend, everybody.